This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. Pastor Carl Gallops is here for the full two hours. He has a brand new book out, The Gods of Ground Zero. But before we get to that, a quick programming note or two. There is no live YouTube stream tonight. The audio, however, from tonight's uh, program will be posted to the YouTube channel in a few days. And, of course, that's the Conspiracy Show YouTube channel. Uh, The live YouTube streams return in mid-September. Next week on The Conspiracy Show, Joe Horn from Skywatch TV will be here. He'll talk about the ticking time bomb tens of millions of North Americans uh, may be facing in terms of a health epidemic related to processed foods. And uh, he'll also have an absolutely explosive report on what we're feeding our pets. He's uh, the author, uh, in addition to Ticking Time Bomb, of Dead Pets Don't Lie. Uh, And uh, it's, as I say, not good news, folks. Wait till you hear this. Very disturbing indeed. Joe Horn. Uh, Then in two weeks, author-lawyer Sarah Whalen on the assassination of Princess Diana. you want to mark that one down and not miss it. All right. My guest tonight says, so much of the real message of the Garden of Eden has been adjusted over time. He says, literally everything wrong with the world and our own personal lives, as well as much of what you read in today's headlines, is directly linked to the Garden of Eden. Why is it then that we so frequently insist upon turning that vital chapter into an almost childlike bedtime story? Did you know the Bible tells us exactly where the original Garden of Eden was located? Have you ever wondered what really happened in the Garden? What is the full truth of why the Garden was created in the first place? Was the Garden Serpent really a walking, talking snake? Did Jesus reveal deep secrets about the Garden of Eden? Did you know that he actually mentioned the Garden of Eden while he was on the cross? And exactly what is it that Satan and the demonic realm is so desperately trying to hide from us? How does what happened in the Garden directly relate to today's world, our personal lives, 
uh, and much more. Get ready for the biblical ride of your life, folks. Critically acclaimed and Amazon top 60 best-selling author Carl Gallup's uh, is here to pull back the curtain on earth with previously hidden biblical treasures about the world's real ground zero. Carl is a former decorated Florida law enforcement officer, the longtime senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church since 1987 on the Gulf Coast of Florida, and the internationally known radio talk show host of Freedom Friday with Carl Gallups. That's 1330 WEBY. Carl also serves on the Board of Regents at the University of Mobile in Mobile, Alabama, and he frequently appears in television, radio, and print media interviews as a commentator and pundit for all things geopolitical, biblical, and prophetic. He's also a well-known biblical conference speaker. Again, his new book, The Gods of Ground Zero, will be released August 24th. Previously, he's written The Magic Man in the Sky, The Rabbi Who Found Messiah, Be Thou Prepared When the Lion Roars, and Gods and Thrones. Carl Gallops, welcome, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing wonderful, Richard. Hey, it's an honor to be with you. Always an honor to be with you, my friend. God bless you. Now, uh, August 24th, the uh, the new book is uh, available. That's it. Yeah. When you say ground zero, that's a rather provocative uh, term, of, of course, well, since 2001. What yeah. does it mean in, in, in uh, relation to this biblical uh, book? Yeah, well, of course, you know, ground zero, as it relates, of course, to 9-11, your audience understands, of course, that that, that moniker uh, designates, uh, look, this is it. This is, this is where everything converged on that, um, that um, prescient, unbelievable day. Well, but the ultimate ground zero, where everything converges, first, where everything originated, and now where it will converge again. This is according to the Word of God, Richard, and I, I mean from Old Testament to New Testament, where it all began and where it will all converge is in the Garden of Eden, which was the focal point of God's creation. It was the place where the Lord God himself designed to meet with humanity. He and the divine realm, that is the creation that he had created before he created the earth. We would call it the angelic realm. And there are different classes and natures of, of, of the angelic realm, just like there are different kinds of humans, you know, different races, different cultures, different, different, uh, different body types of humans. Well, in the divine realm, according to the Word of God, um, there, there are different classes and types of the angelic beings. And this was the place, this planet was the place, according to the Word of God, where uh, the Lord God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, uh, where he started the whole fellowship process, which was ultimately ruined in the garden by humanity and one of the chiefest of the divine realm, Satan himself. And we can talk about all that tonight. But so that's ground zero. That's where the devastation began. That's the first terrorist attack, if you will, on the planet. It happened right there. But in the whole, what we would call history of humanity, what's unfolding, where you and I are living now, everything that came before us and everything that will come after us and where we are right now, this unfolding story, history, his story, this unfolding story is all about the ultimate restitution of all things. That comes right out of the New Testament, that phrase, the restitution of all things. That's being done through 
the Word of God, the prophetic movement of God's Word, of course, ultimately through Jesus Christ himself, and it is being done at the return of Jesus Christ, according to God's Word. But it all centers on ground zero, and the Bible shockingly speaks of the Garden of Eden from Genesis literally to Revelation. Jesus speaks of it, biblical writers speak of it in the Old Testament and New Testament, and you seldom hear any preaching or teaching on this. And as you said in the opening, most of the time we take the third chapter of Genesis, where Ground Zero first occurred, and we turn it into a children's bedtime story, with a little snake slyly wrapped around a limb, looking at a woman, encouraging her to eat a piece of fruit, usually depicted as an apple, which, by the way, the Bible says nothing about an apple. Right. Uh, so, so you, you know, and, it's, and, 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 and there's, there's a reason why it should be couched in the metaphor in which it's couched. And by the way, that's not my opinion. That's what the Word of God actually says, that it's a metaphor, and we'll talk about that later on tonight. But, uh, but, but there's a reason why. I mean, can you imagine uh, if... if, if a child picks up the Bible and can't get past the third chapter of Genesis without running into the deepest, darkest, nastiest thing that right. really ever happened on the planet. So something horrible went down in the garden. But yeah. do we know where the Garden of Eden was located? I mean, uh, yeah. we hear about modern-day Iraq, but was it really? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Now, I'm going to say some shocking things tonight as you and I talk about the Word of God and as it relates to what's in my book. So I just want to say this once so I don't wind up saying it over and over and over, sounding like I'm beating this drum. But I want your, your audience to understand that the shocking things that I'm going to say, if they can pick up a copy of my book, and I'm not here to sell a book, so if they don't get it, that's fine. They can listen to this interview. But if they pick up a copy of the book, Gods of Ground Zero, they will discover that every claim that I'm going to make, as you know because you've read it, it is thoroughly backed up by renowned scholars, not only from years past, renowned scholars who have now gone on to be with the Lord, but yet they're still quoted and researched and read and, and, and referenced uh, to this day, but also renowned scholars of our times, Hebrew language experts, Greek language experts. I go straight to the Greek and the Hebrew lexicons. I go straight to the contextual connect, connecting of Scripture. So I, I'm saying all that to answer your question, because what I'm going to say is going to shock a lot of people right up front because it is kind of the main thesis, one of the main theses of my, of my book. You asked, do we know where the Garden of Eden was? Yes, the Bible tells us in its connectual, connect, excuse me, contextual connections, literally from Genesis to Revelation, the Garden of Eden was originally located in the area of what we now call the land of Israel, what the Romans designated as the land of Palestine. We also know, now this is what the Bible says, and again, I'm going to say it one more time, and I will ne never say this again tonight, <laughs> everything I'm saying is documented profusely in my book, because some people are listening to this saying, oh, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, actually, I do know what I'm talking about, Richard, as you know. And not only that, but many, many scholars 
for for ages have seen this. They've been writing about it, but it so seldom makes it to the pulpits. Why, why do we always hear about Mesopotamia and, and uh, the Euphrates and Tigris rivers as well, being connected to the Well, because a lot of that, you know, they call all of that the cradle of civilization. And because in the, the description in the Word of God, it speaks of a conjoining of four rivers, and it names, you know, the Tigris, Euphrates, etc. But, 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 but the deal is that there has been a flood since then. I mean, all, all, almost all Bible scholars and archaeologists and, and geography experts that are, that are grounded in the Word of God, they understand and they admit that if there really was a worldwide flood, and as some Bible scholars would even say, maybe it was uh, you know, a regional flood. I right. think it was a worldwide flood. But even if it was regional, it was in that region. And so, obviously, uh, the, the, the face of the planet would be changed, and, and, and riverbeds and river uh, directions, etc. So, but the bottom line is, um, that whole area is the earliest, earliest cradle of, of civilization. Now, is, it's really interesting, and I document this in the book, that, that um, you know, evolutionists, and of course I'm, I'm not an evolutionist. I believe God created, just as the Bible says. I don't think we came from, you know, I don't uh, think we came from apes, etc. But, but the bottom line is that evolutionists have claimed for years that the earliest artifacts of pre-humans were found in Africa. Mm-hmm. And then, but, but just in the last several months, in the major... Uh, um, scientific magazines, and even those that are, are really heavy, heavily, heavily lean, leaning towards uh, the, the evolutionist theory. Of course, all of them do, actually, in the mainstream. But, but they have declared headlines. I'm going to have to paraphrase them now. I don't have these right in front of me. But the headlines of their articles have, have, have declared, we're having to rethink the, the, the origins of humanity. We're having to rethink the, the birthplace of modern humans. Uh, and of course, what they're saying is, is that, they, that there was a, a divergence of, of creatures that came out of Africa that eventually became uh, modern humans, and, and they would place them in various places, like the Mesopotamian Valley, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But now, now, just in the last few months, they hit the headlines, but this has been discovered in the last couple of years in, in sec- by secular archaeologists. The oldest human remains of modern humanity just being discovered in the last several years, and that involves uh, uh, tools and, and artifacts and skeletal remains that can be positively identified as modern humanity, yet the evolutionists say very, very, very old, but the, but the, but the oldest ones that we have found now are found in what is now the modern-day nation of Israel. And most of them are found within 50, 40, 50, 60 miles of Jerusalem itself. That's amazing. You know, how many times have we seen this where uh, something was in the Bible and was dismissed as fiction, and then they they find archaeological evidence for it. Every it seems yes. every archaeological find confirms the validity of the Bi- the Bible from the existence of Pontius Pilate, who was not known before 
uh, you know, it, it, until we read about it in the Bible and confirmed that archaeologically. Carl, we're going to take a time out. We'll come back. We'll find out what you mean by gods. Yeah. Gods of Ground Zero. And uh, then we'll head right back to the Garden of Eden. Carl Gallup's my guest right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. We are back with Carl Gallups, the pastor. Carl Gallups, longtime pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church down in beautiful Florida. And uh, his latest is The Gods of Ground Zero, due out uh, in just a couple weeks, August the 24th. And uh, that'll be available through uh, Amazon and and so forth. Now, we were talking about um, gods, the word gods. This is something that you dealt with in the book Gods and Thrones, but let's revisit it. Why do we use the plural gods? Yes, thank you. Hey, listen, yeah, for your audience to know, the Gods of Ground Zero is, is actually could be considered a sequel to Gods and Thrones. However, I want your audience to know that you do not have to have read Gods and Thrones in order for Gods of Ground Zero to be thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable and thoroughly understandable. I, I wrote them so that they would fit together like a hand in a glove, but yet at the same time could stand apart from each other. In case somebody just picked up the second one first, it'll make complete sense. But you're right, I do deal with this heavily in Gods and Thrones, but then in Gods of Ground Zero, I hit it again for a couple of chapters, putting new information in there, so it's not just simply a rehashing of what I'd done before, but putting new information in there as well for people who had uh, read Gods and Thrones. But, bottom line, you're right. I deal with it in, in that book, Gods and Thrones, as well as Gods of Ground Zero, because it begs to be dealt with. I mean, you know, here I am, a, a Christian, a, a, an author, a Bible scholar, a preacher, teacher, and I'm talking about gods? I mean, do I believe in some pantheon of these... Mythical Greek mythology, you know, type gods. No, 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 no. Here's the deal. The Bible opens with this phrase, with this uh, verse, and it's in English. In English, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that's interesting because in the beginning, who created it? God. All right? Now, we know as we read through the Old Testament, there are quite a few names by which God is known, quite a few monikers, if you will. There's Yahweh, there's Adonai, there's El, and then the variations like El Shaddai, El Elyon, El, uh, you know, and on and on. El, Adonai, um, uh, Yahweh, the, the Creator, the, the, the Almighty, and then there is this term, it's translated in English as God, capital G-O-D. No S on it, no little G. In the beginning, God created. So what word is that in the Hebrew? That word is Elohim, Elohim. Now, that's a very interesting word, and this is, why, this is where we get the term gods from as well. Because it is like our word deer or buffalo, our words deer or buffalo, and there are many other, like dice, you know, dice, there's one dice, and there's, you know, you know and, and there's, I've got several in my hands. Um, 
I, I don't call them dices. I don't call them deers or buffaloes. You know, right. I say, deer, look at the deer. Well, when I say that, if, if, if you don't have a context to it, if you don't see what I see, you just hear me say that, you have to decide, did I just see one deer cross the road in front of us, or am I looking at a herd of deer? Look at the deer. That's all I say. So you don't really know. It's one word, but it can be singular or plural, depending upon the qualifiers. Like buffalo. If I just screamed one, one word, buffalo. Well, what do I mean by that? I've just seen a buffalo, or you better run and hide because there's a whole herd getting ready to come down upon you. Buffalo. Right, right. Okay, all right. Elohim is the very same way. Whenever you see a Hebrew word ending in I am, im, Elohim, that's like our English words ending in S or ES. But we do have English words uh, that end in S or ES that are both singular and plural, like glasses. Correct. Okay, for example. Scissors. Right, so, 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 now, but here's the cool thing about it. When we get to Genesis 1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. All right, is it singular God, or is it plural gods? That would be with a little g and an s, gods. Well, we know that it's singular God, the creator, because it goes on to say, and he said, and he said, and he said, let there be light, and he said, let there be dry earth, and he said, let the ground burst forth with living things. He. Okay, so as we move forward, we understand that this is the singular. This is God. This is Elohim, the ultimate Elohim, capital E. Okay, but as we move through the Old Testament, we run into that phrase over and over, and we discover that God calls the divine realm, the created beings, the angelic realm as a whole, he calls them also Elohim, little e. Now, the reason he does that, it's the same reason why you give your children your family name. And, um, you know, your, your, your kids have your last name. And some of your kids might even share parts of your name or your father's name or your wife's family's name. What, what, why is that? Because you want them to be proud of who they are and from whence they came, their heritage, their lineage. Um, so God is the creator of everything. He's the creator of the entire divine realm, and that is his, his upper family, if you will. We are his lower family. Listen, I know that might sound odd to some people, but the book of Ephesians speaks about that. It speaks about how our Father, who is in heaven, this is in the third chapter, it says, from whom all of his creation in heaven and all of his creation on earth derive their name. Where, Where do we get our name? From our Father. So what does he call the heavenly beings? He calls them also Elohim, little g with an S. Now, that's a little confusing to those of us that speak English, because every time we hear the word God, even if it's a little g, we immediately think of, you know, some supernatural being that, you know, that that sways over the universe. Well, but God himself is the creator. But the divine realm, through this interdimensional understanding of reality in the divine realm, he also calls the angelic realm as a whole Elohim, little e. Now, when I use the term gods and thrones, the title of my last book, I'm speaking specifically, specifically of the fallen realm, the fallen divine realm, what we would call the demonic realm, led by Satan himself, little g, s, but Satan, the Bible tells us, wants to take the place of Big G, 
God. He wants to sit upon his throne. He wants to be the God of gods, the Bible says. Elohim of Elohim is how that translates in Hebrew. So when I say gods of ground zero, I'm speaking of mainly the fallen demonic realm, but I'm also speaking of the non-fallen angelic realm. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place over Israel right now and over the city of Jerusalem right now and over the Temple Mount right now. It's in our headline news. But the Bible says from the beginning it started in Eden, it started with the fall, it went from there through the flood, from there to the Tower of Babel, from there to the scattering of the nations, from there to the demonic realm behind the thrones of power and all of the nations of the world trying to move everything towards a kingdom whereby Satan runs and rules the world, culminating in a man with the spirit of Satan in him, if not Satan himself disguised as a man, that the Bible says is the Antichrist. Right. Now let, yeah. me, let me go back to the, the garden. And the depiction of Satan as a serpent. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that, that term used? I mean, we're not talking about a walking, talking snake here. Yeah, no, we're not. In fact, I can prove that from God's Word. And again, backed up by a lot of scholarly understanding. Yeah, when we come to Genesis chapter 3... It's, it, you know, I mean, it starts off, I mean, it's, 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 it's very clear that, um, uh, in fact, let me just read it here. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. All right, he said, the woman did, God really say, you must not leave. All right, so, so we're introduced, just, just slapped in the face with it. I mean, there's no explanation, just a serpent? is speaking to the woman, really? Didn't Adam name all of the animals? Yes. Did he ever come across a talking snake? Well, there's nothing mentioned about that. It did, did, did all of a sudden a snake just come? And by the way, it must be a walking snake, too, because later on, you know, in this, in this whole uh, metaphorical situation. And by the way, the, the Garden of Eden is not a metaphor. Adam and Eve are not metaphors. The fall is not a metaphor. That's why the world's so messed up now. All of that is reality. But it's couched in this metaphor, and we'll discover why from the scriptures a little bit later on tonight. But the bottom line is, we're just we're we're just told this this serpent, okay? And 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 when God pronounces his judgment, he says, from now on you'll go on your belly. Well, which means he was on legs before. <laughs> you know, right. So so you know, did Adam and Eve really see this serpent? come walking into the garden, I mean, and start talking to them? Was the serpent, was this animal really smarter than Adam and Eve? Well, not unless it was a divine being, because the divine being would be, uh, you know, supernatural and smarter than Adam and Eve. But, but are there divine beings that are serpents with legs? No, no. But this is a metaphor. And as a matter of fact, the scriptures tell us, and, and I'll go straight to that in just a second. But to answer your question, so here we are, introduced to a serpent who's speaking. All right, now, here's the deal. That's Genesis. We never, ever, ever hear anywhere else in the scriptures of a talking, walking snake. And it's interesting because Elohim, or Yahweh himself in the Old Testament, addresses who it was that was in the garden. And when he does, he gives a very specific identification of Satan, but he doesn't say anything about a walking, talking snake. 
That's in the Old Testament. In two places, actually, in Isaiah and in Ezekiel. And then by the time we get into the New Testament, we are introduced to Satan in the in, 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 the, in the, pers- the personage of Satan, tempting Jesus in the wilderness, etc. But by the time we get to the end of the New Testament, the ultimate revelation of revelations, the book of Revelation, we want run right smack into Revelation 12, watch this, Richard, where in the metaphor, the secret of the metaphor, is laid bare before us. Let me just read this, portions of it. I cannot read the whole chapter, but the, but the relevant portions. Verse 1 of chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its heads. Okay, well, first of all, we already know this is a metaphor, right? <laughs> I mean, you know. One would hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one would hope. I mean, you know, a, a seven-headed, ten horns seven-crowned dragon and a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, 12 stars on her head. That would be a heavy head, by the way. And then it goes on to say, this dragon's tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour the child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Well, listen, that whole ruling the nations with an iron scepter, a male child, that comes right out of the book of Isaiah comes right out of the Old Testament. It's none other than the Messiah, who we know as Jesus Christ. So, you know, the woman could be Israel, the woman that gives birth to Messiah through the prophecies. It could also be Mary herself, the literal woman who gave birth to the literal Messiah. But the bottom line is, there was no dragon with seven heads and ten horns and crowns that, that, that stood before a woman with the moon under her feet and 12 stars on top of her head. This is all metaphorical. But all of that language comes out of the Old Testament. Now, I'm building to a point here. I want to answer your question, but this is important that we have the context. So, so as we're coming through this, watch this. So she gave birth to the child. And then, then it goes on to say, um, now, then war broke out in heaven, Michael and his angels. And in, in the Old Testament, that, that could be malach, uh, that's the Hebrew word for angel, or it could even say, and, and, and the Elohim, the gods, little g, s, fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his malach, his angels, fought back. Watch this. But he, but he was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. Watch this. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil who is Satan, Mm. who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So now it's defined for us. In fact, in in, um, uh, Revelation chapter 20, that same phrase is used again, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. It's it's there again. So twice in the book of Revelation, we're told who the how ancient is the serpent. Well, all the way back to the garden. <laughs> That's as ancient as you can get. I'll say. Listen, we've got to take a time out, Carl. We will come back and uh, pick it up on the other side. Uh, we are with Pastor Carl Gallops, and the book is The Gods of Ground Zero. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. Truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. 
We're back with Carl Gallops, and the book is The Gods of Ground Zero. So uh, we were talking about uh, Satan and why he's portrayed as uh, metaphorically as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. Did you want to finish up on that point? Yeah, before I move? will. I'll do that very quickly. So we're picking right back up in Revelation 12. That just defines all of this for us. Revelation 12 and Revelation 20, we find the same phrase. It says that ancient serpent who is called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. And so what do we find out about that serpent? Well, Revelation 12 presents him clearly, metaphorically. In fact, Revelation 12 ends with these words. It says, in the woman was given the wings of a, a great eagle is uh, prepared in the wilderness, and she would be taken care of. Then verse 15, it says, And then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away. But the earth helped the woman, opening its mouth, swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was... Ar- so see, this term dragon and serpent is used interchangeably. It's used absolutely metaphorically. There is no serpent that spews rivers of water out of its mouth to sweep a woman away. There is no dragon that spews rivers of water. This is metaphorically right. yep. determined to be Satan himself was in the garden, not a walking, talking snake. Now, who, who was Satan before he was cast down? All right. Let me read it to you. Let me just let God answer that. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11 this is what the Sovereign Lord says. That's what's in the Bible. I didn't declare that. <laughs> verse, that's verse 12. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in the garden. You were in Eden. And then he goes on to describe him, how precious, adorned with precious emeralds, stones, turquoise, beryl, uh, onyx, jasper. Your settings and mountings were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the, among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. So I, just, I drove you as a profane thing, a profane thing from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub. I threw you to the earth and I will destroy you. I will reduce you to ashes on the ground, verse 18, in the sight of all who are watching. So he wow! Was, yeah, there are two th- interesting things there. One, cherubim. cherubim. I'll explain that. Was he, were the cherubim not in charge of sort of guarding the yeah. throne? Let me explain that. You're absolutely right, Richard. So that's Ezekiel 28 tells us. God says, he tells us who was there. He says, you were in Eden, in the garden. Well, you can't get any clearer than that. He was created. He was perfect in his creation, perfect in beauty, perfect in everything. The guardian cherub, over and over, he's called the cherub, the guardian cherub. On the mount of God, that's the divine assembly with God. He was one of the gods, little g, little s, gods, one of the Elohim. All right, now, it's interesting because in Ezekiel 28, he's called a guardian cherub, But way back in Ezekiel 10, we're told Ezekiel sees these cherubim, and he says, these are also called the living creatures. That's another name for the cherubim. Well, when we get to the book of Revelation, 
again, the most perfect revelation of Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapter 4 and 5, John is caught up to the throne room of God, and what does he see? The four living creatures surrounding the throne, and they are crying out, holy, 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 and they are giving praise to God. Satan was right up next to the throne of God in the beginning, a guardian of the holiness of God. God doesn't need guarding, but the holiness of God has always been has been guarded. You do not approach. You do, you do not even as as a member of the divine family, in the, in the in the other dimension of God's God's uh, existence. You do not approach His throne without first coming through one of the guardian cherubim. That was who Satan was. That's who showed up in the garden. Now he's presented as a serpent because he is serpent-like. The word serpent is nachash in Hebrew. It's an interesting word. Because what it means is, not only can it mean a literal snake, but it also is used most often in the way we use the word, as someone who whispers magically, who lies, who twists the truth, in the same way I would say to you, you know what, Richard? I've been betrayed by my very best friend. He turned out to be a snake in the grass. Mm, right, right. And and who did he, these the other angels that he dragged down with him, or that were cast out, uh, I mean, do do we do we have any inkling as to their identity? Do they have names? Yeah. Uh, are they are they physical beings? Are they spirit beings? Yeah. For the purpose of this conversation, because we could spend hours on this, there are, there there are those who have written to this in great length, and who have made all kinds of biblical connections. So, for those who know all of that, please forgive me, but I want to keep it at this level for our conversation. The bottom line is. They are of the divine realm. They are of the fallen ones, those who followed Satan, I believe, beginning in the garden. And then, of course, we know, we know that by the time of the flood, I mean, there's, there, there's something horrific going on wherein God himself says, I'm going to push the reset button. I'm right. going to destroy everything. Time to cleanse the gene pool. Yes. Everybody out of the pool. That all flesh was becoming corrupt, and it was because of something happening in the divine realm. And we can talk about all that later if you'd like. We will. And I, we'll, uh, we'll take a time out, and then we'll pick up on that okay. uh, that point as we can continue to delve into uh, Satan and his uh, minions and uh, all roads leading back to the Garden of Eden. Carl yep. Gallup's the author of God's the gods of Ground Zero, coming back with more on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Let's go to the X. Oh, baby. Let's go to the X. It's summer and the CNE is almost here. Buy now until midnight August 16th and save up to $24.99. Get your advance ticket discount at Go Transit Stations or online at thex.com. New this year, don't miss Legends of the Silk Road Come to Light Indoor Lantern Festival open every day of the CNE. There's tons to do, all for one low admission price. Let's go to the X, August 17th to September 3rd. Come and celebrate Toronto and do everything you want at the X. 
The keys to better home improvements with Paul Napolitano of Royal Home Improvements. Nice to see you again, Paul. Good to see you, Eva. Time certainly flies. We're looking at, let's see, my math says almost 50 years Royal Home Improvements has been building trust. This is our 49th year. I've been at it for 30 plus years. And there's not much I haven't seen in the industry. Years ago, you told me something that stood out. You said to me, it's really important that you have peace of mind with your renovations, Eva, and all of our customers have peace of mind. Give me the best piece of advice. The best piece of advice I could give any homeowner considering a renovation, Mm -hmm. whether it's a condo or home, Mm -hmm. is get it in writing. You can't go on assumptions. You need to see it in black and white so that you know exactly what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. What you want to do is go online. You can check out their work. They've got a great website, royalhomeimprovements.ca. Did we forget anything, Paul? How about our phone number? 416-236-4400. Research suggests that women are too conservative with their savings and investments. Janice Honeyman, Portfolio Manager at Mackey Research Capital. I'll let you in on a secret. Every person is unique. Some women take risks, while others are conservative. Another secret, men don't like to lose money any more than women do. I believe in providing customized investment planning for every client. Go to JaniceHoneyman.com to find out what my clients are saying about me. To meet with Janice, call 416-860-7781. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. We're back with Carl Gallup's The Gods of Ground Zero, due out on August the 24th. And uh, we're talking about the Garden of Eden and, uh, and Satan. And I was asking you whether Satan uh, and uh, the, uh, the other fallen angels... This has always puzzled me, you know, in terms of uh, the idea that that uh, angels could, you know, commingle the fallen angels, commingling with the daughters of men, uh, which sounds very much like, you know, like a, a physical act, like they were mating. Uh, but yet, we think of many of us think of angels as spiritual beings, not flesh and bone or physical beings. So, what what is it? What what which is the truth? Listen, that's that's an, um, that's a great question, and people people ask that all the time. In my previous book, Gods and Thrones, I address it, and in this book, Gods of Ground Zero, I address it. So let me address it here. And again, we could do a two-hour show on that alone, so I'll, I'll give the five-minute answer, but, but that's a very important question. Thank you for asking it. Now, here's the truth. Let me first give an illustration. When we speak of the spiritual realm, see, in our physical reality, in our space-time continuum, in our dimension of all that we know of life, When we speak of the spiritual realm, somehow we get in our mind, the first picture that pops in is this little ethereal, smoky, wispy, something like a ghost or a fat little baby sitting on a cloud, you know, playing a a harp. I mean, that that comes right out of Greek mythology. But but you ask, is it a physical being? Here's the best illustration or some of the best earthly illustrations I can give. The answer to that is absolutely they are physical beings. And let me explain. Um, Imagine going down to the deepest, darkest bottom of the ocean, miles and miles. Now, some of the deepest places are like five and six miles deep. I mean, imagine that, brother. Get up in an airplane. Next time you're up in an airplane, and when you level off at 25,000 feet, look down. Pretend like you're a ship 
on the surface and look down right, at the bottom right, of the ocean. I, right. That's how the, deep the oceans are in some places. The Mariana Trench. Yes, for example. But what we now know, in some of the deepest trenches of the ocean at the bottom, there are things called hydrothermal vents. Vents of hot, fresh water spewing out of the middle of the earth, just venting, coming from the middle. I mean, this is amazing when you think about it. Mm. We, we know we, uh, we've got probes that have gone down now with all of our technology and looked, and we discovered something amazing. Miles and miles and miles below the surface of the earth, these vents and around the vents are entire ecosystems. Because there, there are living creatures all around those vents. And, and, there, and everything from, from uh, uh, microbial life, plant-type life, to hydrothermal vent crabs and shrimp and little fishes. And, I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and, but, but here's what's amazing. Are those creatures flesh and blood? Yes. Are they physical or are they little ghosty, wispy ghosts? No, they're physical. They're physical beings. But watch this. Those hydrothermal vent creatures cannot imagine going up for miles and miles and miles. Most of them can't. Their bodies would explode. They, they, they can't do it. They're not equipped. But if they could, if they could go up into the darkness for miles and miles and miles and miles, and if they could reach the surface, and if they could burst through the surface and look, what would they see? Another dimension of reality. Of course, they couldn't even fathom that it goes on and on and on around this big globe and that there are continents and that there are seven billion human beings that are like gods to these, these creatures at the bottom of the ocean. Not only that, but there are 25 million different species of life. Not only that, but off the surface of the earth, there's this thing called space. And there are galaxies and there are solar systems and this hydrothermal vent crab cannot even imagine that. Yet, they exist in complete reality, flesh and blood, if you will, a different kind of flesh, but it's flesh and blood, and we exist in reality. They don't have a clue. We exist, but we know they exist. They can't come into our world, but we can go into their world. There's an example. We're talking about interdimensional understanding here. We're not talking about fairy tales and mythology. We're talking about the first thing the Word of God presents to us is the reality of different dimensions. That's just the first thing. The first thing God's Word relates to us, the reality of different physical dimensions. Now, through the study of quantum mechanics and quantum science, our quantum physicists, most of them who are not Christian, who are not believers of the Word of God, most of them who are some type of evolutionist, even they admit there are, we now know scientifically, there are multiple dimensions of reality. Now, that's my best, under, my best way to describe this to you and your listeners in, in my short time, and that is, so when we come to the Word of God, the Word of God has been telling us for thousands of years, there are multiple dimensions of reality, there are living beings within those multiple dimensions. All of it has been created by a singular, omniscient, omnipotent creator God, Yahweh, or Elohim, capital E. He has an upper family, if you will, and he has a lower family. The lower family was meant to fellowship with the upper family on a planet called Earth in a place called the Garden of Eden, a cherubim 
rebelled. Because he could. Because he had free will. See, his upper family and humans were not created as robots. We were not created as puppets. We were created to fellowship with our Creator out of love, out of our own desire to fellowship with Him and to be a part of all of His glory. Let's take a few moments to the top of the hour and talk about the other important symbols in the garden. And one is the tree and one is the fruit. Let's start with the tree. What's, what is meant by the tree? Was it a physical tree, or is it, is it a metaphor? Oh, you want to do that now? Yes, please. Oh, okay, I'm yeah. sorry. You no, that's all right. No, we, yeah, we, we have a few minutes to the top of the hour, yeah, so yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll get okay. into that. Okay, well, we're probably going to have to fin- talk about it more on the other side, because, again, all of these topics we could just spend so much time on. Oh, I love talking about this. First of all, I wasn't in the garden. I know some people think I'm old enough to have been in the garden, but I wasn't. Uh, So all I know is what God's Word says. Now, so when we come to Genesis 3, it speaks of trees, uh, specifically two trees, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then the tree of life. Very, very interesting. Um, So they're presented as trees, but then again, a serpent is presented as a walking, talking snake, too. So you have to ask, are the trees metaphorical, too? So as we move through the scriptures, what we discover is that Satan is literally referred to as a tree in the garden. Jesus refers to him as a tree in the garden. I'll, I'll, I'll quote that scripture in a little bit. We'll, we'll, I'll talk about it. We'll teach on it. Um, Yahweh speaks of Satan as a tree. And it literally says in Ezekiel 31, in the garden of Eden, you were a tree higher than all of the others. And then it names them. And then it says, but I will throw you down because you were raised up in pride. I mean, I mean it says it. And I mean, again, I make all of these connections in my book. I go to the scholars. I go to the language. I tear all of this apart, and I show people, this is what the, this is what the Word of God's talking about. And then we get to the New Testament, and we hear Jesus speak of the tree of life. And he says, I, he doesn't say, I am the tree of life, but the tree of life is what we eat from metaphorically speaking, in order to live forever. It's like when Jesus talked to the woman of the well. He said, I am the living water. If you drink of me, you will live forever. He told his disciples, I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you will live forever. Then he says, I am the only one that, ha- that gives you the right, the ability to eat of the tree of life. Yet he also says he is the only one who can give life. So Jesus equates himself with the tree of life. By the time we get to the book of Revelation, the last chapter of the book of Revelation literally speaks of the recreated earth and heavens, and it's called, it's called the, the, the restitution of all things. And it says, and what's there? The tree of life is there for the uh-huh. healing of the nations. In fact, some of the English translations, modern translations, have as a subtitle of chapter 22 of Revelation, the restoration of Eden. Because that's, what, that's where it's all headed. So brother. two trees. So two trees. The tree of life is, is the Messiah. Yeah. And the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is yeah, Satan. Satan. Yeah. And by the way, what did Jesus die on? A cross made out of a tree. It's right. called he died on a tree. Um, he is the tree of life. He gives to the tree of life. Uh, Satan 
in Ezekiel 31 is called the tree that was in the Garden of Eden, quote. Um, Then in Matthew 13, (laughs) Jesus is actually, he he gives six or seven parables in a a row. He starts off with a parable of the sower, put the seed on the ground, and and, in one of them it says, and then then the evil one comes and and snatches away, the birds come and snatch those that are sown upon the, the ground. And then he explains, he said, now the birds, the birds are the evil one. The birds are the evil one and his messengers. So that's Satan. And then it goes on to say, um, in, uh, let me see here, oh yeah, 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 watch this, in the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast, was just a couple of verses later, it says, then he told him another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field, though it's the smallest of all seed, yet when it grows, it becomes the largest of garden plants, and becomes a tree, and the birds come and perch in its branches. Well, again, this is all backed up in my book through scholarly writings that you never hear preached in the pulpit. A lot of modern-day preachers take that parable and say, oh, that's about the growth of the church. No, it's not. Just a few verses earlier, it says the birds are evil. Ah. The birds are the kingdom of Satan. The birds are, are nesting in this thing, this this odd thing, uh, the, the smallest seed, the mustard seed. It doesn't grow into a tree. It's, it, it's, it's just a plant, but yet the evil comes and, per, and perches in its branches. And what does it say? He says, it is the largest, it grows to be the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree. So he equates this demonic thing with a garden and a tree. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives a parable. He says, you know what? He says, you can't get good fruit from a bad tree. You can't get bad fruit from a good tree. He says, beware of the false prophets. You will know them by their fruit. Mm. From what? A tree. The right, mustard. Wait, wait. I got to come back to that mustard tree. You know, next time I order a hot dog, hold the mustard. That's right. Hold, hold the, mustard. the daggum <laughs> mustard. That's right. Hey, but listen to this, brother. Think about this. So who was the very first false prophet? on the planet that we have recorded. It was Satan. Right. Where did it happen? In the garden. What did he say that was false prophecy? You surely shall not die. You, you, if you will do what I tell you, you can be like the gods. You can be, or some translations say you can be like God. Some translations say you can be like the gods. And people say, well, well now, now why is that different translation? Because the word is Elohim. And there are really no other qualifiers, so we don't really know if it means if he meant you can be like God himself or you can be like the divine realm. Either way, it means the same thing. You can be more than you are, Satan said, if you would just do what I'm telling you to do. And God doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just trying to keep something special from you. You will not die. What's he doing? He's a bad tree offering bad fruit, and he says, eat of this fruit. Jesus warned about that. In Matthew chapter 13 and in Matthew chapter 7. All right, we'll, we'll pick that on, that on that on the other side. Okay. What is that fruit? We'll come back with Carl Gallops, the author of The Gods of Ground Zero, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay tuned for Hour 2. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. 
Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station, Zoomer Radio, AM 740, 96.7 FM, here in Toronto. And those of you catching the program on one of our affiliate stations across North America, those of you who take the show with you on your cell phone or your tablet with the uh, Conspiracy Show app and the Zoomer Radio app, uh, incidentally, both fabulous free downloads. Uh, those of you who watch and listen on the YouTube channel and join us in the, uh, the live YouTube chat, However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes, and I thank you for your fine company. Uh, Just a reminder, please check out my podcasts, Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. New shows every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You can listen and subscribe at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. And my other podcast, for those of you who love rock and roll, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. Uh, which is part of the Jericho Network in association with Westwood One, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. If you love rock and roll and you love true crime, rock and roll and the paranormal, uh, check out the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. A new episode drops every Wednesday at midnight, 12 a.m. Eastern. That's available at Apple Podcasts and Google, Google Play. Just Google it, the Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. It's it's everywhere. Uh, the pastor, Carl Gallops, is with us. Uh, for the full two hours, he stays with us as we discuss the Garden of Eden and biblical prophecy. Uh, his new book, The Gods of Ground Zero, is available starting August the 24th. And uh, we were talking about uh, Satan in the garden. We were talking about uh, the tree Uh, the tree of life versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, So that brings us to uh, the fruit uh, that uh, Adam and Eve partook of in the garden. And how did we, how did the fruit become associated with the apple? As you point out, the the apple is never mentioned, but we just assume it's, you know, a snake saying, here, take this apple. But it's not a snake and, and it's not an apple, is it? No. No, it's not. Um, as a matter of fact, the word apple, of course, is, is, is not there at all. It does say the word fruit, and it's so funny. You go to some of the old, older commentaries that came out of the Victorian age of, of Europe, and when they start, all they do when they get to Genesis 3 is they argue with each other over what kind of fruit it was. <laughs> right, I mean, right. When you read it, it's almost comical. But then as you come through that Victorian age where nobody really wanted to talk about the profane things, um, you, you start getting more serious uh, exegetical, contextual connections of the Scripture. And then the scholars started writing, and there is a plethora of scholarly work out there where people see what I'm getting ready to share with your audience here. I'll make some scriptural connections first, and then we'll just speak of it very clearly. Um, so, so now we know, when we read Genesis 3, and it says the serpent, all right, we know from everything we've already discussed, I'm not going to rehash it all, but we know that that is a metaphor for Satan himself. The book of Revelation clearly says that in its perfect context. I mean, it clearly says it. God said it in Ezekiel 28 when he says, no, you were the guardian cherub. In fact, isn't it funny? Nowhere else does God ever refer to the serpent, the walking, talking snake in the garden. Nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere. It's just one place. Why is that? Well, because it was a metaphor. But yet, we're told in Ezekiel 28 
that it's Satan, a guardian cherub. We're told in Revelation that the serpent, the dragon, is Satan. So we're told who it was. So we know that's a metaphor. Now we know the trees are a metaphor. The tree of good and evil, the tree of life. I mean, Jesus calls himself the tree of life. We know that Jesus calls Satan basically the tree of good and uh, the knowledge of good and evil. And think about that. I mean, think about everything that God does that's good. Satan takes and perverts it. Everything. I mean, sexuality. Human sexuality, Richard. God created that. Satan mm. didn't create it. Mm-hmm. God created it. And what did he say? And after all of creation, he, behold, he looked at it and he said, behold, it is very good. That included everything. That included our sexuality. That included the whole uh, reproduction process. Everything that God created, he said, this is good. This is meant for good. It's meant for the enjoyment of creation. This is good. But what has Satan done? He has thoroughly corrupted and perverted. The whole world is filled with sexual corruption, sexual perversion, sexual um, uh, uh, sin from, from corner to corner of the earth. And it's in the headline news every day, all over the earth. And so now we come to the garden. So when Satan says, Okay, I'm not going to call him the serpent now, because the Hebrew word there is nakash, which can also mean a person who is just a sly, conniving, lying, manipulating person. In the same way we said, that old snake in the grass lied about me. All right, so nakash, Satan, he says to Eve, eat of this fruit. All right, now, so we have to ask ourselves, and I do this in my book quite thoroughly. I'll just brush on it here. Is there anywhere else in the Bible that speaks of trees and eating fruit in any kind of a way that's metaphorical but gives us a definition. Yeah, there are. I quote several of them, a couple from Proverbs, a couple from the Song of Solomon, um, some uh, even one in the New Testament. I'll quote that one in just a moment. I'll read it to your audience. That speak of trees in a garden and eating fruit, and every time they're used in the book of Proverbs, the book of, Sol- of, of Song of Solomon, they are used to speak of sexual perversion of every single time. Now, now, please hear me. I don't want your audience to go crazy on me and say, he's saying Satan had sex with Eve. I don't say that. that I mean, that could be what happened. I, I think there, it might be even deeper than that, and I'll explain in just a moment. But, but the reason I don't say that it's because the Bible doesn't say that. See? I'm just sticking to what the Bible says. And, but the bottom line is, we know the serpent is a metaphor. We know the trees are a metaphor. I mean, Ezekiel 31, God calls Satan a tree in the garden, and the other trees are nations. And I mean, so, so that's all used. We know that eating fruit from a tree, Jesus talks about eating bad fruit from a bad tree and false prophecies and being where and judging by a fruit. We, we know from Song of Solomon and Proverbs that eating fruit from a tree in a garden in a, in a lustful, licentious way tied to sexual immorality, something is corrupting and perverting the flesh and what God had originally created. Well, so what did Adam and Eve eat of? We don't know exactly what happened, but obviously from the fruit of the tree of good and evil. So God created something good. Satan somehow convinced them to pervert it. Now, 
Well, what did he do? I don't know. And I think that's why the whole thing's couched in a metaphor, so that we don't take a 10-year-old that's just learning the Bible, who in the third chapter runs into an X-rated right, right. <laughs> passage of Scripture. Right. But yet, it's something that they can grasp, and they can be told, look, here's what happens. When you disobey what God tells you, you can ruin your life. So, okay. but, but, but they, are, they, are, they are offered the fruit from the tree of good and evil, which is Satan. Right. So the fruit is Satan. Well, right, and, the, and or the knowledge. See, he speaks of knowledge. So he's right. telling them something, he's showing them something. Maybe he's doing something with them or convincing them to do something. We don't know. I mean, our perverted minds can run wild with this, and I don't, I don't, I don't write the book to titillate people's right. uh, uh, sexual perversion imagination. I just say what the Bible says. And what is now, the promise again that he made them? Do what? What is the promise, again, that Satan made to Adam oh, yeah. and Eve? He said, if you'll do this, you can, you can have the knowledge. You can have knowledge of everything. You can be like the gods, the little g, the, the, the s. So, you, you know, and I tell people, don't think too deeply about that. Does that mean the gods are up there, you know, in, in the other dimension just having sex with each other? No, that's not what it says. It's just Satan is saying that I know God gave you these things, and I know God created you a little different from the angels, and he gave you something special, which is your ability to procreate, which is your sexual nature, which, by the way, was declared good. There was nothing dirty about it. But get this. When Adam and Eve sinned, what was the first thing they covered up? Right, right. <laughs> Their sexual organs. Right. And what did they do? They ran and hid from God. Now, brother, I was a private, in- I'm not a private investigator, I was a law enforcement officer for 11 years in, in, in two different sheriff's offices under three different sheriffs. One of those offices, I did criminal investigations, uh, did some of my own criminal investigations and assisted other criminal investigators. Um, I, I can just tell you, my mind thinks like a criminal investigator. So you come upon a scene and you say, give me the facts, ma'am, just the facts. You know, okay, well, they went into this building and, you know, and they, they, they went in, you know, with no clothes on and they were perfectly innocent and didn't have a clue, but they came running out, and they covered themselves, they covered their sexual organs, and they ran and hid, and, and then they come out, and they're ashamed, and they're, something devastating happened, and, well, two plus two is four, Richard. Right, <laughs> I mean, right, something right. happened in that realm. Now, now, let's hear from the Scriptures. Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. I do a deep study of this in my book, but right now just the little, the little study. And then I want to move from there to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And then from there I want to move back to Ezekiel 28, because I want you to hear what God's Word says about this that I'm talking about now. And I don't get weird with this. Again, I don't declare the thing. We don't know the thing. It could have been something that we're not even thinking of. I, I, I talk about in my book, it could have been some type of genetic manipulation. Look, look what's happening with the technology we have now. Right, right. All of this perversion, sex robots, child rape robots, uh, you know, uh, child, I mean, uh, rape robots, child robots. I mean, good gosh, where do we think that's coming from? That, that knowledge is coming from the demonic realm, artificial intelligence. And I mean, I don't want to get too deep with this. It's nasty. And, and so it could be something about genetic manipulation. Look what we're, we're doing with gene splicing, CRISPR-Cas9, you know, pigs and humans and animals and humans. I mean, what did, what did God do with Noah's ark and the flood? He got animals, put them on the ark. He said, these, 
Their flesh is not corrupted. Corrupted. I'm bringing them to you. Noah, you and your family, the only ones that are not corrupted, get on the ark. I'm going to push the reset button and kill everything else. See, we turn Noah's ark into a little children's bedtime story too, Richard. But this stuff is serious. That's why I say in my book, man, the Garden of Eden is the reason for everything. Well, if the... Uh, we're coming up uh, on a break yeah, here. But, and I'm going to go to the scriptures in a minute, but go ahead. But if... Uh, if we, I mean, we know about fallen angels uh, and the Nephilim and the commingling of, mm-hmm. you know, the fallen angels taking wives, human wives. Uh, is that possible then that, that, that maybe that started in the Garden of Eden? It, it happened I, before. I, I think so, yeah. And if you don't mind, uh, after the break, I'd love to come back and address that a little more thoroughly because there are two major schools of thought on, on how to interpret that. And I deal with that heavily in my first book, Gods and Thrones. Uh, but you've raised a very important point. But, but, but you're right. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think it all started in the Garden of Eden. Because we move from chapter 3, the Garden of Eden, we move right into Genesis chapter 11, 10, and, or chapter 6, where we're told that the sons of God, by the, word, by the way, in the Hebrew, that phrase is b'nei Elohim. Where's that word Elohim? God. The sons, B'nai. And every time, every time that exact phrase is used in the Bible, other than Genesis 6 in English translation, every single time it's translated as divine beings or angels. All right, we, have exa- to, we have to take a time out, uh, Carl. When we come back, we'll pick up on that point. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and then I want to get to the scriptures. We shall. Carl Gallup's The Gods of Ground Zero, here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. When in doubt... Blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, Carl. So we were, we left off. Uh, we were just, we were discussing uh, the Nephilim, uh, fallen angels commingling with the, wire, the the daughters of men, uh, and whether that might be a clue as to what went down in the Garden of Eden, and you wanted yeah. to quote some scripture. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I quote this, these scriptures, and, and, and people who have been listening to this whole broadcast or who will go back and listen to the, what we set up with it, they, I think they will see it just as clearly as you and I see it. And, and, and again, as I outline in my book, as many, many, many scholars for hundreds of years have seen it. It's just this stuff's hard to preach on a Sunday morning from the pulpit, brother. It's hard to teach in a Sunday school class. That's why you never hear it. And so sure. instead, you pick up a book for your children, and you see a picture of a talking snake, you know, with an apple and a pretty woman. And, and then you see the Noah's flood, and you see a, you know, a cartoon character elephant on the, on the ark with a head bigger than, you know, than the ark itself hanging off, and a giraffe with necks that reach to the sky, and a, a man with a great long white beard. And, you know, I mean, that, that's what we relegate all of this to. But the garden is what destroyed everything. The flood is God's reset button. He killed everything. (laughs) I mean, if we can wrap our heads around this and quit making the Bible into a children's bedtime story, we can finally get to the depth of what's really going on here. Now, let's let the Bible speak to itself. 2 Peter chapter 1, 
This is verse 3 and 4. So Peter says, his divine power, that is God, divine means supernatural, other, otherworldly, other dimension. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Listen to this, verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may once again participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Oh my gosh. What did Peter just say here? Now, this is interesting, because Peter was one of the original disciples. Peter was the first preacher of the first church, wherein 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost. Peter was the senior pastor of the first church in downtown Jerusalem. Peter sat at the feet of Jesus. Peter got this from Jesus himself. What did he get? Let me just translate this. He says, look, if you keep your eyes on Jesus because you belong to him, you will live a life that is godly. That means not ungodly. And he says, and through that, then you can be assured of the promises that are coming your way, mainly that your divine nature will be restored. Now, I want your listeners to hear me. I am not saying that we're going to become gods like some of the cults say, capital G, little s. I'm going to use the English word so people are going to freak out, but then I'll get to the Hebrew. But I am saying we'll, we, we will be restored to our original divine nature that can be defined as Elohim, little g, God, S, gods. And all that means is Adam and Eve had that very nature before they lost it. They weren't supposed to die. Their flesh wasn't supposed to rot and corrupt. The world wasn't supposed to be filled with pollution and crime and corruption and death and murder and disease and rape and mayhem and war. But rather, at the restitution of all things, Richard, our divine nature will be restored because all things will be made new. But watch this. He says, and the reason that is, because we will have escaped. These are Peter's words, brother, not mine. We will have escaped the corruption, and that word corruption in the Greek means the rotting process, the decaying process. Well, where did the rotting and the decaying start in the Garden of Eden? Mm. I mean, the Bible says that all the way through. We will have escaped that corruption that is in this world, listen to this, that came through lust. That's what it says. And the Greek word there is epithumia. Epithumia. Now, this is interesting. I do a study on this in, in the book so you, your folks can read this for themselves. But here's the quick version. Epithumia is, is, an, is a Greek word, and it's found dozens of times in the New Testament. It translates as lust. Some of the more modern translations simply translate it as evil desires. <laughs> right, they right. don't want to use the word lust. Why? Because now we've got to go back to the garden. Why? Because Peter says that's where the whole decaying process started. And Peter said it happened by an act of lust mm. that ruined everything. You Peter I, said that, brother. When I, when I hear corruption and I, and I hear that it all began in the Garden of Eden, I think about, you know, uh, physicists talk about the laws of entropy. Yes. 
And that's where it began, right? That yep. all things yep. tend towards decay in the universe. Yep, exactly. The laws of entropy. Yeah, yeah, one of the, one of the laws of thermodynamics. Now watch this. That word epithumia is used oh, well over a dozen times in the New Testament. Every single time except one, it's used in its context to speak of sexual perversion in the same way we would use. Hmm. Well, he lusted after that girl, and then he raped her. He lusted after that person, and he was unfaithful in his marriage. He lusted. Epithumia, epithumia, epithumia. There's one time, and see, we use it this way, too. I can say, man, there was a bowl of ice cream sitting on the counter the other day with chocolate syrup and a cherry on top, and I was lusting after it. Well, I didn't want to have sex with a bowl of ice cream. All that means is, is I had a deep desire to right, to right. to in to participate <laughs> with that bowl of ice cream. Okay, Jesus actually uses the word epithumia in the passage of scripture where he's getting ready to go to the last supper, and he tells his disciples, "I have longed to eat this supper with you, this last supper." Because he he knew from there he was going to the cross. From there, the whole process of restoring the divine nature was going to begin, and he actually used the word epithumia in the way we would use the word lust. He was overemphasizing it. He was be what 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 do you call it when you oh there's a hyperbole. Yeah, hyperbole. He was using hyperbole in the same way I would if I was speaking of lusting after a bowl of ice cream. So it can be used that way, but every other time in the New Testament when epithumia is used, it speaks of sexual perversion and lust. Peter says that's how it started. Now, let's go a little further. We'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. What are its two main problems? False teachers. Well, what did Jesus say about false teachers? They're bad trees with bad fruit, right? Right. False teachers. I mean, he is going on and on about false prophets, false apostles, false teachers. And remember, Jesus called them bad trees, producing bad fruit. Don't eat of that fruit. Do you know what else is going on Second in the church at Corinth? Sexual perversion. Paul says that was so bad, even the pagans didn't do it. In the first letter to Corinth, it talked about a man... Uh, having his father's wife. Did that mean he was having sex with his own mother or maybe his stepmother? We don't know, but it was some kind of nastiness that Paul and the early church had to deal with in the first letter to Corinth. Now, in the second letter, listen to what he says. Paul says, chapter 11, starting at verse 2, I am jealous for you, Corinthians, with a godly jealousy. Listen to this, Richard. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. Now, he's speaking metaphorically, but, but yet the church is called the, the bride of Christ. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Listen to the next verse. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent... Your minds may somehow be led astray from your pure devotion to Christ alone. Oh, my gosh. That's Paul. Now, we've already had Peter telling us that everything started in the garden. All of the corruption came out of epithumia. Now we hear Paul tell the church at Corinth that its two main problems were false prophets 
and sexual perversion that even the pagans wouldn't participate in. And he says, you're being deceived just like Eve was. All right. So, you, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, we, we can't say 100% that, that, that uh, Eve, for example, uh, had sex with Satan. But everything seems to be pointing in that direction. Well, not, ne- not necessarily, but what it's pointing to. I'm only going to say what the Bible says, and I still have one more verse to read, because these two have already knocked your socks off, I know. And there's another one still back in the Old Testament. But the bottom line is, um, it, it, something happened there that involved sexuality. I, listen, when God deals the judgment out in the garden, he calls Adam and Eve, and he calls the serpent, who we now know as Satan. He tells Adam, you're going to work the ground, sweat, briars, etc. It's not going to be a joy for you anymore. He tells Eve, this beautiful gift I gave you of bearing children is now going to be done in pain. You will do it. You will love your children. But it's going to be costly because I'm teaching you a lesson. All right, so what, 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 what's going to be costly to her? Her womb and the birth process. Now watch this. And what does he tell Satan? Here's your punishment. From the womb of a woman will come a seed that will crush your head. Brother, it's all focused on the womb of the woman Mm. and the seed. And that's his death sentence. Now we come to Ezekiel 28, back to Ezekiel 28. Sorry, let me just, death sentence, that's interesting. Because, again, we think of angels as being immortal. Well. They can die. That's where I was going, brother. Ah. Yeah, we're thinking along the same lines. Angels can die. In fact, the death sentence is pronounced on Satan several places. We'll go to Ezekiel 28 again. In Ezekiel 28, where, 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 where chapter, verse 12 starts off by saying, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. And he speaks of saints. He said, you were in the garden. You were in Eden. You were the seal of perfection, perfect in beauty, on and on. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were blameless when you were created, etc., etc. But he says, but I drove you as a profane thing from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub. All right, now, let me, let me define that, and then I'm going to get to his sentence. Profane thing. You know what the Hebrew word there? The Hebrew word for profane is chalal. And many times in the Old Testament, I have all this documented in my book, many times that word is used for sexual profanity. For sexual... It says... A man shall not profane his bed, but shall shall not chalal his bed by having sex with a woman that's not his wife. I, I'm paraphrasing, but that right. word chalal is there. Right. Over and over we hear phrases like that, chalal, 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 profanity that has to do with sexual perversion. God says in Ezekiel 28 to the guardian cherub, I drove you out of the mount of God and out of the garden because you were chalala. And then he says, by that, you corrupted your wisdom. You became proud because of your beauty, because of your splendor. Now watch this. So I made a spectacle of you. I threw you to the earth. What do we find in Revelation 12? Beware, earth. Satan has been thrown down to the earth. 
and he is filled with rage because he knows his time is short. That's what Ezekiel 28 says, but watch this. He says, by your many sins, you have desecrated yourself. He says, so I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And in the end, I will reduce you to ashes in the sight of all who are watching. That's quite a death sentence. All of the nations who (laughs) knew you will be appalled at you because of the horrible end that will come to you, and you will be no more. Now, we're just heading into a break. Just give me a real quick answer on this one. Does that death sentence also extend to all of the angels that fell with him? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about what death okay. and the death sentence means when we come back. All right. I know people are thinking, well, gosh, did they cease to exist? We'll talk about that. Carl Gallup's The Gods of Ground Zero, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Back with more. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. From Zoomer Radio. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. So, Carl, the death sentence for Satan, uh, you burned into ashes. Uh, And so I was asking you whether that death sentence extends to all of his minions that fell to the earth with him when he was cast out of the throne room. Yes, it does. When we get to Revelation chapter 20, we're faced with the great white throne of judgment. And there it says, death and hell gave up all that were in them. And then it also says that the, it says that the, the, the beast, which we know as the Antichrist, and Satan... And his angels, Jesus talks about hell was reserved for Satan and his angels. Jude speaks about angels that left their high estate and were imprisoned, waiting on the great white throne of judgment. Peter talks about the same thing. And by the way, they're all related back either to the garden or to Sodom and Gomorrah. Sexual perversion. Hmm. They were imprisoned. And then they're brought before the great white throne. And what does it say happens? They're thrown into the lake of fire. Satan and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire. Satan's demons, the angelic realm that fell with him. It says, and, and so what is the lake of fire? Well, we don't really know, except that it is eternal separation from God. And what did he tell Satan he would do in Ezekiel 28? I'm going to reduce you to ashes, and you will be no more. Right. So, in other words, you will never, at the end of it all, I, I don't know if that means he just ceases to exist, because, again, we've got the laws of entropy. Nothing really ever ceases to exist. You just exist in a different form. You understand that. Yes. Burn a pile of wood. That pile of wood still exists. Every molecule still exists. It's just not as wood. Now it's as gas and, and liquids and et cetera. So same thing. I don't know. Lake of fire. I mean, I, yeah, golly. I mean, he, God created the sun. We can't even imagine how hot that is. And that's just a little uh, match head compared to the lake of fire. And that's where Satan and the angels are going. All I know is Ezekiel 28, he says, I will reduce you to ashes and you will be no more. You will come to a horrible end and all of the nations will watch. So, and we read in Revelation 20 where that actually happens. So people say, well, you know, angels can't die. Oh, yes, they can. And they're terrified of it. Fascinating. Now, um, this is a short segment, but let me ask you this. After the, uh, the flood, when all of the, uh, because the, the gene pool was corrupted, right? People were, were demonic. 
if, if I'm understanding it correctly, yep. they they the, the the Nephilim, the fallen angels, commingled with the daughters of men, and so all of the families on earth, save one, their their flesh was corrupted. They were they were demonic. They were part demon. Uh-huh. Am I understanding understanding that correctly? Okay. Well, listen. There's two schools of thoughts on thought on it. I agree with what you just said, but I want to explain myself very quickly. And again, in Gods and Thrones, I spend several chapters on it. I don't think I talk too deeply about no. it in Gods of Ground Zero. That's why the two books kind of go together. But yet, you can read them each separately. But if you get them both, then you've got this deep theology library and <laughs> at, at home. But anyway, no. Here's the deal. In Genesis 6, here's what it says. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it right in front of me. But it says, And in those days, the B'nai Elohim came unto the daughters of men and had children by them. Now, that phrase, had children by them, we immediately think, well, how do we have children? Well, we have sex. Okay. And that could be exactly how it happened. And then we ask questions. Yeah, but I thought Jesus said uh, angels don't have sex. Actually, Jesus never said that. He was talking about giving and taking marriage. He said nothing about sex, and that's a whole other thing we can talk about. Again, in Gods and Thrones, I have several chapters on that. But go back to Genesis 6, and the sons of God, the B'nai Elohim, every other place where that exact phrase is used in English translation, it's always translated as angels or the divine realm. In Genesis 6, every English translation avoids the heck out of that, and they just say, the sons of God. What they're doing is they're translating it literally because they don't want to deal with saying. There is one translation, one English translation, which is a scholarly translation, and I can't remember which version it is right now, but I've got it listed in Gods and Thrones, that actually says, and in those days angelic beings came unto the daughters of men. Now, the only other explanation that makes any sense at all, and it really doesn't make any sense, is the it's it's very lengthy, but I'll make it short. It's called the Sethite view, the daughters of of, of Seth, et cetera, et cetera, who's descendant of of um uh, oh, oh, oh gosh, I can't remember now. But anyway, the bottom line is what they're trying to say is well, these are these are human, these are like you know godly men who are marrying ungodly women. But wait, I say stop the car, squeal the brakes. Since when does a godly man who marries a beautiful, godless woman create freak giants that cause God to destroy the whole earth? I mean, right, right. I mean that, that doesn't even make sense. It, it, it clearly says that something was happening that's related all the way back to the Garden of Eden. A line has been crossed over. Peter, Jude, they speak of that line. Angels left their high estate. They did something that was so outrageous, so illegal, so godless, so immoral, so against the word of God and the heart of God, that they were imprisoned for it, waiting for the great white throne of judgment. Yet God is still playing out this whole acting, this whole stage, if you will, of of restoring the divine nature through Jesus Christ and the restitution of all things that is coming when the Lord Jesus returns. That's what life is about. That's what it's all about, the restoration. It started in the garden, but by the time we get to the flood, something horrible had happened to all flesh. And the Bible says all flesh, not just human flesh. Right. Quick question as we go into a break here. We've got a minute. Is or was Cain was Cain's father Satan? No. The Bible says, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, And Adam lay with his wife Eve, 
Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant by Adam and gave birth to Cain. Ah, She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Thank you for resolving the question. Yeah, it does indeed. All right, we'll take a time. We'll come back. Carl Gallows, one more segment, and uh, we'll continue to delve into the gods of Ground Zero. Stay with us. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down, and it lands on the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sapp from Zuma Radio. We're back with Carl Gallup's The Gods of Ground Zero, available uh, on August the 24th, just in a couple of weeks. Now, uh, so after the flood, after the, the gene pool has been chlorinated, so to speak, and God has gotten rid of the, uh, the corrupted... Uh, humans that are also demonic, these hybrids, really, we're talking about hybrids. Uh, so, after the flood, then, does it happen again? Uh, is, is, the, is the, the human b- bloodline corrupted with, with fallen angels? You know, there's a lot of speculation about that. There's several different schools of thought. I tend to believe that it happened again. And I also believe it's happening even now to a degree. And let me explain. Because after the flood, everything dies, of course, except for Noah. And and watch this. And the animals that Noah went out and collected up over the years. No, it's not what the Bible says. The animals that God brought to the ark. He said, I will bring the animals, Noah. Why would God say that? Because only God would know which animals weren't corrupt. Right, right, right. right. Because it says all flesh, all flesh was corrupt, except there were some animals that weren't, and there were some humans that weren't, those he put on the ark. But after that, then we read, we get into the scriptures and we continue to read, and then later on we find there are more giants. I mean, David himself had to face Goliath and his brothers. yes. Yeah, and I mean, and, 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 and when the, uh, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, they sent the, the spies into the land. They came back terrified. They said, oh my gosh, there's giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers to them. So something has happened again. Some corruption has either happened again or the genetics have lived on somehow. Something has happened. We don't know, brother. We don't know. We don't know the acts that occurred in the Garden of Eden. Is it God possible, Carl, that you and I and, and, and many of us, or all of us, are, are hybrids? Well, brother, <laughs> man, how deep do you want to take this program? <laughs> <laughs> you asked me that with 15 minutes left? <laughs> well, there will be other programs. I pray to the Lord there will be. <laughs> well, let me just say, you know, I don't really know how to answer that right now, but it, 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 I, I suppose it's possible in the realm and scheme of all things, but may I continue to go forward yes. with where I was going? Yes. See, that's the cool thing about this, Richard, and, and I know you've read my book, so you know more right now than you should for this interview, because, <laughs> because you've got all of these things in your mind. And so as we unravel one thing, it unravels five or six more things, right? And as I answer one question, 
then you got 10 more questions, and, and that's so cool. It is an and onion. I, yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, I love it. I love sitting down with people, and you're so gracious to give me two hours tonight, brother, but I love sitting down with people, people in my church and doing these studies. I'll just come into the sanctuary on a Sunday night. I'll say, open your Bibles. We're here for however long you want to be here. Let's talk. And we do this stuff right here, So, and we just go to the Scriptures just like I'm doing. But anyway, 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 so it's possible, but think of it now, brother. So you've got Genesis 6 saying, I mean, Genesis 6, that's three chapters after Genesis 3, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Genesis 3 is the garden. God says, I cast you out of it because you were chalal, you were profane. Peter says that what happened in the garden caused all the corruption that's in the world, and it came through lust. Paul says in Second Corinthians, I just read it, that the Corinthian church, he was afraid, was going to go the way that Eve went, just like that. Now, get this. So you ask, well, what about, you know, giants afterwards and even today? Luke chapter 17, Jesus said, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit of it, but then what I'm going to quote is going to be an exact quote. The paraphrase is this. Jesus said, because the disciples have asked him about the very last days and the return of the Son of Man. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you what the last days, let me tell you what's going to mark the last days. He said it will be just like it was in the days of Noah, and just like it was in the days of Lot. Oh my gosh, Jesus said that. Well, how was it in the days of Noah? All flesh had become corrupted. Why? Some kind of horrific perversion of the flesh, whether that was physical acts or whether it was genetic manipulation going on. Because you see, the divine realm, look at the genetic manipulation we're doing Where do you think that that knowledge comes from? The knowledge to pervert humanity, to pervert the whole realm of sexuality that we can do through science or medical or CRISPR-Cas9 or genetic splicing or engineering. Where where does that knowledge come from? We say, well, that that comes because humans are getting so smart. Actually, God's already pushed the reset button once because all flesh had become corrupted. We don't know what was going on before the flood, brother. The the, the angelic realm, they're not looking at our measly little inventions and scratching. Satan's not scratching his head saying, wow, I didn't know you could do that with a gene. (laughs) He's not scratching. Brother, he came from the throne of God. He was there when God created Adam. He was there when God created Eve. Satan's not scratching his head at what we're doing. I think a lot of this filth is being pumped into the minds of godless people. And so what's happening? We're corrupting all flesh. What did Jesus say 2,000 years ago? He said, right before my return, it's going to be just like the days of Noah. And by the way, that word just is in the Scripture. He said, just like. You know what that means. Exactly right, like right. the days of Noah. And then he also said, and like the days of Lot. Well, what was Lot? Sodom and Gomorrah. What was the characteristic of Sodom and Gomorrah? Sexual perversion of all manner, of all types. Right, right. So, so, what, so Jesus said it's going to be... So, so what's happening? You had the Garden of Eden. Boom. Three chapters later, you've got the B'nai Elohim coming unto the daughters of men. There's freaks and giants and violence and filth and terrorism that fills the earth. God says, oh my gosh, all flesh is corrupt. He says, Noah, your family's about the only ones that aren't. Start building me an ark, and I'm going to bring the animals to you that you need. 
He puts them on the ark. He destroys everything and starts over. In the meantime, we've had thousands of years of human existence. There have been giants among us still. And in the last days, here we are. And what are we doing? We're corrupting all flesh again. And what did Jesus say? It'll be just like that. So, brother, listen. People say, well, you know, are the demonic realms still among us? I mean, are they disguised? Well, here's, here's my answer to that. We don't know exactly, but I can tell you what the Bible says, and then I can give you educated speculation based upon what the Bible says. The Bible says we do know that angels who are allowed from the throne of God to come down to the hydrothermal vent creatures, that's us. <laughs> yes. They are allowed to come, and every time an angel appears in the Scripture, they always appear as a human being. And the very most of the time, in fact, I can't think of any time, when they weren't first thought to be human until they finally revealed themselves as angelic. In fact, I've had a couple of those experiences in my own life, which we can talk about on another show one day if you'd like. Amazing couple of times. I didn't know, but then... It was revealed that it was an angelic being. Oh, my gosh. Every time we look in the Scriptures, that's what we see. Now, the question is, can the demonic do the same thing? Because they are fallen angels. Right. Well, probably, and all we can do now is speculate, because the Bible's not real clear on that. It's very clear that that the obedient angels can appear as humans and that they are sent here as messengers. They don't come just because they want to. They're not like thugs. They don't hang around on the streets just because they can. Probably the demonic realm can, which is why their judgment is coming upon them. Some of them have so overstepped their boundaries that God's already got them in prison. The Which other, ones? Which ones? And and where is that? Prison? I think. Well, I see, I told you it, it makes one question after another, right? Mm-hmm. Which ones? Uh, Jude and Peter both relate it all the way back to before the flood. So they they overstepped their bounds in the days that B'nai Elohim were coming unto the daughters of men. Uh, but I what mean, about Satan? He's not locked up. No, because God, that's what I was getting ready to say. God's using all of them. See, Satan, he's so prideful and arrogant. He thinks he's going to overthrow the throne of God. He thinks he's going to be the God of gods. He thinks he's going to sit upon the throne of God himself. He says that in Isaiah 14. He says it through the scriptures. He tells Jesus, if you'll bow down to me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. I mean, that's how prideful he is and how arrogant. His demonic horde that have followed him, that's what they think as well. And so, but the bottom line is, God's using them. He's using them. There's a weeding out process. This is boot camp. This whole thing we call life, it's boot camp. We're not puppets. We're not robots. We have a free will. We're being weeded out. Those of us who desire to serve and love and to fellowship with our Creator like it was in the garden, just because we can, just because we choose to. And those who say, I don't want any part of that junk. I don't want any part of God's Word. I don't want anything to do with that Jesus stuff. I don't want anything to do with that stuff. That's all silly. I'm going to be my own God. Well, basically what you're doing is you're serving Satan, and he's quite happy to let you be, think that you're your own God. He's using you, just like God is using Satan as the weeding out process what of was, the demonic realm. What was in it for uh, Satan. It wasn't whatever he he in what transpired in the garden. What did 
he specifically get out of it by deceiving? Did I mean, was what was he trying to accomplish? Yeah, well... Uh, let me say I'm looking at the time here. Okay, we've got a few minutes. Bottom line is this. Based, this is my learned speculation based upon scriptures that are just pouring through my mind right now and the whole connection. And I've written about this in Gods of Ground Zero. Um, here's the deal. First of all, Satan apparently was the royal regent of the divine realm before God created Adam and Eve and the earthly realm which was meant to be a place of fellowship between the upper and lower family. That's what Ephesians says. Now, that's what the book of Genesis says, too, by the way. I think probably what happened, and a lot of scholars agree with this, uh, or maybe my views agree with a lot of scholars, let me say it that way, but the bottom line is, I think Satan was floored. Because Job, the book of Job says that when Adam and Eve were created and the foundations of the earth were laid, that all of heaven rejoiced, the angels sang praises unto God. I think Satan was filled with envy. And then he begins to develop a relationship, which is what all of this was about. I mean, we were supposed to have relationship with the divine realm. All of Adam and Eve's children were supposed to have, but, but, but the veil was dropped because of the sin. But I think that Satan has a relationship with Adam and Eve. He talks with them. He fellowships with them in the divine realm. We don't know. So a lot of theologians believe that it probably was a hundred years from the, from the garden creation to the fall. And in those years, decades and decades and decades, Satan got full of himself. And Ezekiel 28 says he was filled with beauty and filled with pride, filled with majesty, filled with wisdom. But then he thought, I want this. I want it all for myself. And I think, and I write about this in Gods of Ground Zero, I think what he knew that he had to do, he had to, in order to bring it down, in order, he knew what would happen. He knew that Adam and Eve would be cut off from the throne of God. He knew he would be. Got about but, 60 seconds here. Okay, but I think what he did, he knew that he had to do something so chalal, so profane, that God would bring an end to it, and that fellowship would end. And Satan was going to be happy with that. He was going to steal it. There That's what go. it was all about. He wanted to be God of everything that God had created. And if he couldn't, he was going to burn the house down. He's going to burn the house down. Carl, yeah. I don't know where those two hours went, but they went. And uh, always a delight. God, The Gods of Ground Zero, available August the 24th. Thank you so much for this. Thank you, Richard. Listen, brother, I, I could talk about this stuff for hours. I mean, this explains everything. We're going to have you back and talk about your angelic encounters, I promise. Thank you. Carl Gallops. All right, back next week, Joe Horn, the ticking time bomb. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.